What do you love about being outside and active? I'm, I'm sure I've spent more time outdoors than in. That just feels like home. Enjoy what you can do because you never know what is around the corner. Just being outdoors in the fresh air, it just clears my mind. Fully immersed in nature is what brings me the most joy. Hello and welcome back to the Outside and Active podcast, where this week climbing is on the agenda as I speak to the founder of Parthian Climbing, John Dunn. John started climbing at the age of 10 on the local cliffs close to his home in Bradford. He then went on to establish a series of world-class new routes, including the first route to be graded 8B in Britain. In 1989, he climbed the now legendary prow at Burbage South to produce Parthian Shot. And during the 90s, he climbed many new routes in the UK and Europe and continued to push standards of both the athletic realm of sport of climbing and the more serious discipline of traditional climbing. In a career spanning over 30 years, John has established many new routes, climbed extensively in the Alps and visited many countries around the world on rock climbing and mountaineering trips. He continues to climb on a regular basis and still has many projects and climbing trips planned for the future. And if all of this wasn't enough, John is the founder of Parthian Climbing, a group of high quality climbing centres aiming to encourage a new world of climbers. Thank you to the Ellie Suter Foundation for sponsoring this episode of the Outside and Active podcast. I'll speak about them in a little bit. But just before we jump into the episode, the National Snow Week is coming up very, very soon. It's made up of the National Snow Show Birmingham and the London Snow Show. And we're incredibly happy to be offering free tickets to both of these shows when you head to the nationalsnowweek.com website. We can find out all information about the dates that it's on and the speakers and the exhibitors at the show. You can get free tickets to both of these shows by using code OUTSIDE at checkout. Head to nationalsnowweek.com for more information. Without further ado, let's head straight into this episode with John Dunn. Hello and welcome back to the Outside and Active podcast, where today I'm joined by John Dunn. John, hello, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. You have a much more interesting background than me. I have a white wall and empty sort of shelves here, and you've got... A, a, a much more colourful background. Nice bright orange, yeah. <laughs> better, yeah better than brilliant. the white. Um, well, we're going to kick off this episode with a piece of advice. And that piece of advice comes from a previous guest on the podcast. And this piece of advice is from Sue Anstis, who's the founder of Fearless Women, amongst a load of um, other other things that she's founded, Women of Sport Collective, and she has a podcast as well. And her advice is very simple, but very poignant. Be brave and try new things. So I guess the question leading out from that is, are you brave and do you like to try new things? Um, I definitely like to try new things and I'd like to think I am brave, but was probably braver when I was younger than I am now. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's a great piece of advice and um, particularly about what we're going to talk about um, shortly is is climbing can be perceived as this big sport that's difficult to get into, difficult to access, really dangerous, and perhaps not for me. And back to that piece of advice is you can do all these sports and they're a lot easier to um, to get into than you might think. Well, I'm, I'm taking this advice today as well because later on, actually as the day we're recording this, I'll be heading down to Wandsworth to the Parthian Climbing Centre and Brilliant. trying bouldering I think we're doing and I've either never done it before or if I have done it before then I've not done it for years and years so I'm probably going to ask you for a piece of advice at the end of this just personally for me okay. but I'm looking forward to being brave and trying a new thing um, but before we talk about all things climbing and go into talking more about that a 
question again that I ask to everyone, and it's purposefully vague. What do you love about being outside and active? I think I grew up sort of on the very, very close to the edge of the Yorkshire Dales, and a lot of my life from a very young age was going out of the hills, seeing the mountains, seeing the moors, and just being outside in nature, really. And to then bring a group of like-minded people with you and also some plans, some dreams, some projects, some ideas, put them into the mix as well, have a great day out. It's just, for me, it's just a win-win. And, and for me, that's the great thing about being in the outdoors, particularly climbing, and then I guess a host of other sports as well. So you grew up literally with the outdoors at your doorstep? Yeah, exactly. And, and I think... No, carry on. I think that was probably one of the biggest catalysts. I had a, if you think back to sort of the late 70s, when I was growing up, there weren't climbing walls in Wandsworth. There wasn't even a climbing wall in London. There's probably three brick wall climbing walls in the UK. And most people went outside climbing to quarries and edges and cliffs in the Peak District, the lakes. And we had cliffs very close to where I lived in Yorkshire, in and around the sort of mill towns of Bradford and Halifax. And it was just a great opportunity to get into that sport, just purely because I just lived in the right place, I guess. I was going to say, it's all down to access is kind of what you're talking about. But what was it, do you remember sort of the the late 70s, either when you first tried climbing or heard about it and what made you so inquisitive and, and I guess, want to go down that path? I think the biggest thing for me is I grew up, my family did a lot of walking in the lakes and the Yorkshire Dales. And, you know, you see these guys who aren't just walking, they're climbing on crags, on cliffs, they've got climbing gear, big rucksacks. And it was just that sort of excitement of seeing what these guys were doing on the same hill, same peak, but perhaps at a more adventurous level. And, you know, like a lot of kids, they, they want to do that next big thing and they think one day I could be that guy or, or girl walking up and doing that. So that was the inspiration, I guess, uh, to just want to climb bigger hills, go to more adventurous places and, and just take it forward, really. The word you've used there a couple of times is a word that I was about to use in my next question, adventurous and adventurously. Is that a word that you would character- characterise with yourself? Yeah, I mean, I've not really thought about it from that point of view, but it, I guess it's just looking beyond what you see day to day and thinking, actually, there's something else out there, and I don't know how I'm going to do it, I don't know how I'm going to get there, don't know if I'm even good enough to do what I want to do, but it's just that inquisitive nature or adventure, call it what you want, of, of going and trying and looking. So, and I think that's what was my big pull into climbing and, and what I ended up doing in my career. Well, yeah, how does it go from... You know, seeing these people on your walks and trying to maybe emulate what they're doing and, and, and going and, and trying climbing. And how does it develop from there to maybe realising you have a talent for you, you're quite good at it, or wanting to try different climbs and, and go to different places? Well, I guess, the, you know, without going back too far, because it's making me feel old, <laughs> if you look at it in the perspective today, there's a lot of information out there about lots of, you know, adventurous outdoor type sports. You know, be it Google, magazines, podcasts like your own, Dominic, um, and lots of places you can go, you know, climbing walls in literally every major city, every town even. And there's there's easy ways into these so-called difficult sports to access. And, you know, like you talked about going down to Wandsworth, Bouldering at Parthian, that's brilliant. It's a great start because two moves up a climbing wall is no different to two moves on a boulder outside. 
which leads to 10 moves on a climb on the edge of a mountain to a thousand moves on El Capitan in America. It's, it's a big stepping stone. And it's a great way to start because you'll meet people down there that use it as a gym. They use it as a social mechanism to meet people, a community hub. There'll be climbers who train for climbing. And there might just be some really, really good climbers who are, you know, perhaps professional climbers who go there to train for being almost an Olympic standard. So there's a whole mix of different people. But you'll be exposed to them when you go to these places and you'll meet friends, you'll get ideas, hopefully get inspiration. So it's much, much easier now for people to get into sports like climbing through the vehicle of, I guess, indoor climbing. How does the UK rate in terms of climbing, uh, in, in terms of locations you can go and climb outside and maybe how the UK has adopted the climbing industry and looking to, to push it and develop it with, I guess there's national governing bodies involved, but how does it rate, you know, compared to other countries? It's always difficult to rate things because I think climbing is a, a worldwide sport now and it's popular in just about every country. Britain's got a huge, rich tradition of different types of climbing. So without going into technicality, there's you know there's the bouldering, there's indoor climbing, there's ice climbing on Ben Nevis in winter, there's big mountains in Scotland and the lakes, sport climbing on the various cliffs of the UK, trad climbing, sea cliff climbing, deep water solo climbing. So there's a whole mix of different climbing in, in a relatively small island that's reasonably accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the challenge in the UK, of course, is the weather. <laughs> and that's probably why indoor climbing is a very popular pastime, because they were originally set up for climbers on wet weekends who could go and do the sport inside in a dry place. Now it's become a sport within itself and and is now an Olympic sport. But we've got a massive range of really impressive climbing in this country. And even though you, you might look at the big climbs in America and the Alex Honnell free solo and things in France and Germany. Good climbers come to the UK, famous climbers come to the UK to sample it because it's that real special blend, I think, of difference. And yeah, it's very, very significant player in a sort of global climbing market for sure. It just reminded me when you were talking about the different types of climbing and potentially the different gradings as well, because I was lucky enough to speak to Pete Whitaker on this podcast. And I, because okay. I, I, there will be a lot of people listening that will, you know, will be climb, climbers and know about climbing, but there also will be people listening to this have listened for a long time and they might not know as much. And I asked him, can you explain the grading system? And he went, I don't think I could in a short amount of time, but there are, you know, letters and numbers that kind of will show how difficult a climb is i guess what 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 is it from your point of view um it's a bit of a poison chalice question (laughs) some people did a really good job in deflecting it it's a hugely complex issue um and quite subjective you know because you know people find different grades different for different body types different height different sizes but there's a broad range of grades there that are really good for particularly for people coming into the sport who need to know where the start is. And I always sort of akin it to a gym that if you're starting a new gym membership and you've never been a gym before, if you can lift a five kilogram dumbbells successfully, you might do a seven, a 10, a 12. There's a measure, some quantity, you know where you are. 
And I think climbing has got that in the various grade elements. It's when you get to the very elite top end that it all becomes a little bit difficult to understand, which I guess is where where Pete Whitaker is. And so it's difficult for him um, to be really accurate there. Uh, but it's a very interesting topic. But, I mean, I often say to people, don't do it for the grade. Do it for the pure pleasure of doing it. You know, climb a piece of rock or a boulder because it looks amazing or you want to do it or you're having fun with your friends. And you can let a little bit hung up on the grade thing sometimes. I'm just going to jump into this conversation for a second to tell you a bit more about this week's sponsor, the Ellie Suter Foundation which was set up to support young winter sports athletes through funding initiatives and coaching them through the pressures of professional competition following the tragic death of Ellie Suter in 2018. Importantly, the foundation is now focused on raising awareness of the dangers of concussion and has recently partnered with Impact Online Concussion Testing. The Impact Baseline Test is an online assessment which measures functioning of the brain in a healthy state. Take the test and store it on the free app provided so you can carry it with you. In the unfortunate event you experience a concussion, you can then sit a post-traumatic test to help the medical professionals determine changes from your original test and help you with your recovery. You can purchase your online test at www.theellysuter.foundation. I like that that mentality. When you're when you, when you're climbing outdoors and visiting new places and taking on climbs, is that what you're looking for? Are you looking for a certain climb that maybe you think, oh, that, that's going to challenge me or that is a, something that uh, either hasn't been climbed before? What is it for you that's your, sort of your motivation? Yeah, I mean, I guess everybody's different, but if I look back to some, perhaps when I was what you, you might term in modern terms a professional climber, <laughs> I did a lot of first ascents, pieces of rock that had never been climbed. And I've probably done... Little, maybe a hundred, little over a hundred new climbs established in various areas around the world. But that was mainly because I looked at a piece of rock and thought, that looks amazing. It's a really big feature. Yeah, a bit like it when you look across London, it's obvious what's going to catch your eye. The shard. You're going to go, wow. And as a climber, I look at that thing, oh, I'd like to climb that or the walkie-talkie building. Yeah. Well, climbing is the same. You look at a big rock face and there's lots and lots of rock faces that are very similar and very boring, all look the same. And then there's those ones that stand out, and they're the real, what they call king lines. So for me, if I go to a new area, or even a new climbing wall, I'll be going, that looks amazing, and hopefully you're good enough to climb it. <laughs> it doesn't always work that way. Hopefully, Often fingers crossed. You can't <laughs> climb it. But if you can, that's a real bonus. And, and you'll go to Wandsworth, and I'm, you'll see some eye-catching, amazing pink, blue, green holes and go, wow, I wonder if I can do that. So for me, that's that's the real hook of it looks amazing, want to do it. I mean, I, you know, if I go skiing, I'd look down a peak and go, wow, that run looks really good. What level is it? Can I do it? I wouldn't go, I've got to go and find a black route that's really narrow and really gnarly and really horrible. But I know lots of people who would. And they'd really, really enjoy the difficulty and, and the hard nature of the climb or the ski run or the mountain run or whatever. And that's a great thing about these types of sports is you can come at it from whatever angle you want. You made a. You almost reluctantly said um, professional climber there, but I'm interested of how 
that career path or how that actually becomes a legitimate thing that you would be able to make a living from climbing? Sure. Well, I, I guess when I look back to sort of, I mean, we're talking, well, late 80s, early 90s here. You know, we're going back in time where, had the internet been invented? I can't remember. <laughs> but we, we certainly weren't promoting ourselves on Google or Instagram or TikTok. It was the monthly climbing magazine on WH Smith's shelf. And I've got, you know, I don't know, maybe a couple of dozen front pages and articles and pull out inside spreads. And that's where, you know, you add a value to a sponsor who goes, well, he's got my gear on, he's got my jackets, my helmet, my boots. And you can, to some extent, monetize that or they would support you in developing product with them to allow you to go climbing. I mean, it was a real hand-to-mouth existence, let's be honest. Um, you know, it was small amounts of money that just allowed you to go and do some climbing to advance your own dream. You know, often the, the equipment is useful because if you're climbing every day, you are going to use a lot of boots, a lot of ropes, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess over time that has developed now, whereas we were establishing brands back then mm. that were operating largely out of a spare room or a very small lockup. Now they're multi-million pound brands where actually they don't need the hardcore climbers anymore as much as they need the mass market. The, you know, the, the climber is going to get into climbing for the first time and buy some beginner climbing shoes and not just the elite ones. So the markets change hugely. And you, you can see that with brands you know, like the North Face and Adidas and et cetera, et cetera. And I think now the, the, the climbers are doing it in a different way. Is, you know, it's a lot more around video and podcasts and Instagram and, and that can be monetized. But they're, they're supporting brands and they're building brands with their reputation. Yeah, you said about the development over the brands in that time of the brands over that time period. If you kind of scaled out and looked holistically at the climbing industry over that period of time from the late eighties to now, is there quite a significant difference in that landscape and maybe more of an investment into it as well? Well, I mean, it's like any business, isn't it? If you think about if you take the simple dinner, I mean I I still am sponsored by a company called Scarpa who make climbing shoes, mountaineering boots, they've supported me since, I guess, the very early 90s. And I love their shoes, but they've grown exponentially because the user base has grown. You know, their, their growth in the early days when I used to work with them closely in the 90s was about how do we make the best boots so that people buy our boots instead of another brand's boots. Now there's so many climbers that, they're all getting a bigger piece of the action. And they're all, you know, doing a range of boots from intro level, advanced kids shoes, extreme shoes, performance shoes. So it's, I guess the pizza's bigger now. Does that make sense? Yeah, and almost like creating new categories, like you said, in the different and, types of shoes there. And, and new brands, there's not a, a year goes by where there maybe is another five or six new brands who are all making great gear. I mean, you know, I'm not saying the market's infinite, but it, it is growing hugely. Uh, and, and as is climbing and indoor climbing and that, and also the understanding of the sport. You know, 15, 20 years ago, people said, what do you do for a living, John? I'm, I'm a climber. And they're like, oh, God, are you the guys who don't wash? Are you the guys who sleep sleep on the side of the road? And, you know, you were classed as a dirtbag, I guess, back then, whereas now it's um, it's quite trendy to say you climb. You know, I regularly go on the tube in London and see – 
you know, climbers with the climbing shoes hung on the rucksack, and that's a regular sign. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and that's really good for the sport, I think. It's a it's a genuine sport. It's a great sport to get into. It's, it's really community-focused, social, and I think that attracts a lot of people. Tell me a bit about competition climbing and why you were so instrumental in it coming to the UK in, in uh, was it the late 1980s as well, or was it? Yeah, it was. It, I guess it was. I mean, I competed in some of the very first climbing competitions in Europe, um, and they were actually at the time on outside cliffs. So quite controversially, the Italians and the French would, would find a new cliff somewhere in the south of France or the mountains of Italy. They'd bulldoze a road to the bottom and they'd manufacture an outside climbing wall and run a competition on it with five to 10,000 people watching. So as a young lad of I don't know, 18, 19, that, the spectacle of that was amazing. Wow. But obviously, the conservation element too is they were, you know, cutting trees down, abusing the rock. It it needed to change, and really at that time, that's when the sport started to come into indoor arenas. Where instead of seeing a climbing t- competition on the side of a mountainside in in the Alps, it was in Bercy or some big sports hall in Grenoble or Nice um, on a man-made structure. And I was sort of one of the young up-and-coming climbers in Britain that wanted our, our country, our governing body, the powers of be to embrace competition climbing because I was right there on the cusp of it. And there was a real reluctance at the time to do that. It was like it's this evil thing that isn't real climbing and there's no place in the Olympics for climbing. It, it's all about you know guys who go outside and do the real thing and it's challenging and dangerous. And I was on both sides of the fence. I did both mm. types of climbing, but I was young and I got very frustrated with it. And, you know, I got involved in a bit of a project to do an outside climbing competition in the UK. And that was a real tipping point with, I guess, a very conservative climbing element in the UK. But the upshot of that is the governing body did take it on board and realise that they had to do something and they had to support it and then you started to see competition climbing coming into the UK into sports halls and the sport started to grow so I'm not saying it was the best way of doing it but we're all young and it, it was one of those sort of I guess frustrating times where it seemed like the only way that we were going to get people to listen and for clarity for people that might not know um, much more about competition climbing but it's I guess one one v one, either indoor or outdoor, looking to scale um, a wall yeah, at a I certain mean, speed, or are there different types of? Um, well, there's different types. Climbing? I mean, I mean, back then you it was what's called a difficulty competition, where you'd have a a set route up a 15 meter high wall, designed so that very few people got to the top, if any, and you were all scaled on the height you got to. So you might get seven meters, I might get two meters. So by virtue of that, there's a sort of, you know, first, second, third, fourth. Now they've introduced bouldering to it as well. So there's a set amount of boulder problems that are set and devised. And I think you're timed on, you know, how far you get on the boulder problem, how quick you do it, how many you can do it in a set period. And then there's speed climbing, which is a set of holes up a 17-meter wall. And again, that's purely on speed. It's like 100 meters 
it's incredible that. Vertically. So um, there are three different elements to it. So I'm going to guess it's like looking at athletics where you know, you've got the, the sprinters who are usually powerful, they're your boulders. You've got your sport climbers, difficulty climbers who are probably your 400-meter runners. And then you've got your, again, your, your speed climbers who are somewhere between the two. Interesting. Because uh, it's, like you said there uh, a little bit earlier about it not being in the Olympics, but Tokyo Summer Olympics is when it made its debut. How big of a moment was that for the industry and also how was it received? I think it was a massive moment because it was a sure sport in Tokyo. So I think that's a situation where it's going to be done once. It may not be done again. Now, it's in Paris next year Mm. in 2024. So that's, and it's in Los Angeles in 2028. So it's now been accepted as a, and it may change. I mean, there are talk of dropping speed, climbing and bringing bouldering and various things within the mix. But climbing is there as, as some level of sport. And I think that's a huge, huge positive. Again, within climbing, you've got, you've got a really passionate group of competition climbers who it's, I guess it's like watching premiership football every weekend. They watch the competitions, they monitor it, they follow it. And it's a real, real thing for them. Then you've got a lot of climbers who are not interested in it. They see a climbing wall as a means for training, as a means to going out on the rock face. So many different facets to it. And I guess, how um, how can you see that potentially being, obviously being in the Olympics, it's going to have so many more people watching it, having eyes on it. It's, it's going to be used, well, it will already have had this effect, but inspiring a new group of people, the next generation to think, oh, oh actually, yeah. open this eyes to and climbing. Look, I, I was very lucky. I got into climbing because I lived next to client, real mm. rocks and real climbing. If I'd have lived in East London... <laughs> slightly I different have that privilege because there are no climbs there probably would never have climbed in my life so these you know very young kids who are going to get into it pretty much any every town and city in britain have got a climbing wall they can go to and the more people that climb from a broader range of backgrounds the more chance you're going to get real talent so you're not just going to get talent that you might have a gold medalist and they, they win in the Olympics. It's amazing. You're going to change lives within those demographic groups, you know, because it has a lot of positives climbing. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's great for you know, you know, building all sorts of skills that you need in everyday life. So it's not just that elite thing. There's a whole range. So people will come into it. Some will get good, and some will get skills that you know, we'll go on and benefit them further on. down the line. But we are going to pull more people in, inspire more kids, develop more talent. So Therefore, I think that's a really positive thing. So this is the perfect transition now to really zeroing in and talking about Parthian. Where did it all begin in 2003 in Manchester? Yeah, so I, I, I guess I got to a point where, and I hate to admit this, that you know, I talk about being a, a world-class, top-class climber, which I was in the 90s, but of course, nobody gets any younger. And the young kids are coming along who are stronger and fitter and keener. Pete Whitaker, you mentioned earlier. And I just felt that I needed something else to, to do than, than go climbing every day. Again, it's very physical, and the older you get, the harder it gets, and you're picking injuries up. 
And there was very few climb climb walls in the northwest at the time. I live near Manchester, and Manchester was the only city in Britain without a major climbing wall. Wow. So I found a big redundant church, you know, about a mile out of central Manchester, and we said, Well, look, there's a climb wall in the church in Edinburgh, there's one in Glasgow, there's one in Bristol. Let's do it in Manchester, third biggest city in Britain. There's a real need. And it was really successful. Um, and, and that's how it started. And then since then, we've sort of steadily and organically grown two sites in Harrogate. 2010, the same year we did one in Reading, 2021 in Southampton, and obviously Wandsworth, who just opened this year. So for the and having those locations, are they specifically uh targeted as in you wanted to have one obviously like you said you gave the reason for manchester but these other locations as well was that a plan i think manchester was clearly planned and i think the harrogate was an opportunity that we took because the buildings that you need for these things are quite unique they tend to be quite high um not particularly useful for many other things and availability is quite scarce. So sometimes you end up in places you might not plan to go. I mean, the Reading project was a building that was get, was offered to us. We'd never even thought of going to Reading. And 10 years earlier, we'd have said, well, why would you open a climb wall in Reading? There's no climbers there. Mm-hmm. But actually, the best place you can open a climb wall is where there are no climbing, where actually we get year-round business with our Manchester site, lots of people are out climbing in the summer because the cliffs are close by. I mean, the, um, the, the Manchester location was, was it an old church? It's an old church. It's a huge, huge, big, high Anglican church. It was 27 metres high. Oh, wow. And, and and that was a complicated process but to for that to kind of, I guess, for you yeah, to take that place. It, it, it was sort of one of those projects that we'd actually gone too far to pull out. <laughs> because you know you you've got listed buildings it's a, it's a you know it's two star listed buildings so a lot of covenants on what you can and can't do lots of issue with the structure fixing to the walls so i mean the whole thing is self self-supported in manchester and what was the vision for parthian at that time was it to as you've kind of spoken about to help um existing climbers to excel and learn new skills but also to have that real i guess inclusive atmosphere and encourage a new audience as well i think it was definitely to serve the needs of real a a climbers wall for climbers for sure but also to be inclusive of lots of climbers who probably aren't elite climbers they're in the manchester area and also bringing new people into it kids a whole mix we realized very early on that you know most climbers go outside climbing when the weather's good so you need a broad range. So we designed it with that in mind that we couldn't just be a climb wolf climbers. You know, we had to have things for kids, things for beginners, things for new people coming in. So it's so a whole inclusive mix, really. I mean, we were the the whole word inclusive is quite a big thing these days. Mm. We probably didn't quite think of it like that back then, but we just said we need to make it broad and accessible is probably the mission that we set off on. But what seems to stand the Wandsworth Centre out is that there is a Walk the Titan, which is, forgive me if I'm wrong, saying this wrong, it's what's going to be used in Paris next year. Sure. So the Titan's a particular element, I think a 20-metre 
section of bouldering that is the exact replica of the wall they're going to build in Paris next summer for the Olympics. So, you know, it's the same length, the same height, the same shape. But, of course, the holes will change. But, it, you know, A, it's an opportunity for people who want to maybe train on those angles who might be going to the Olympics. <laughs> it's also an even better option that people who won't go to the Olympics can come and see what that wall might feel and look like. And we've made it inclusive that, you know, kids can climb up it who've never climbed before but also the best climbers, the elite climbers can climb as well. I mean, the centre seems like not just a, climb, a place you can go to climb, it seems like a community centre as well. Yeah, and I think that's really important because I always talk about climbing walls as the new pub. It's a place you can go and not just do a 20-minute workout. You might spend hours there and meet friends and do a bit of work, have some food and, and just meet people. The beauty of climbing is... You know, I can go to a climb wall this afternoon where I live and I'll, I'll absolutely bump into people I've never met before and you, they might help you on a climb that you're struggling on, you might help them, you, you'll talk about the gear, talk about where you're going climbing, what the wall down the road's like. It's just really, really engaging. Whereas I go to a gym and everybody's got the headphones on <laughs> and they're all rushing and it's a different, different mindset. And it's a real leveller because it doesn't matter what you drive up to the climbing wall in. It doesn't matter how, you know, fit you are, how you look. It, it, a lot changes when you get on the walls and start climbing. Well, my colleague, Alex, who's, who is also going with me today to, to try it, I say try it, he's um, been climbing for years and has always been saying to me exactly almost of what you've just said, no, you need to come and try it. And this was the perfect opportunity yeah. to, to get into it. And I think we're with a group of other people as well. So like you said, meeting new people, um, and I'm excited to give it a go. What what should I expect when I get there? I guess for people that will be going there as well, that listen to this thinking, oh, I'd, I'd like to give that a go. What can I expect at the centres um, that you have up and down the country? I think obviously, you know, if you've never climbed before, you, you, you're going to hire some shoes. So we've got a whole range of shoes on there. So you've got the right footwear. You're going to go up there, and, and the first thing I say to people is, you know, have a look around the centre, sort of familiarise yourself with, you know, what you're going to be climbing on, what it looks like. Have a look at the graded board on the side, some huge graded boards that are really good in saying, look, try something in your comfort zone to start with, build a bit of confidence, and then build up. So it's back to the 10-kilogram dumbbell. You might find that really easy to lift. So, hey, do it first, and then try the 12, 15. So it's it's a progressive experience like that. And then you'll, you'll get into things, and you'll start to work as a group pretty quickly, or as a pair, or however many you're going down with. And, and hopefully you'll come away feeling, well, I always say, if you can walk away feeling better than when you walked in, that's a great result. Well, and it, you, you'll see some, some other people down there. I think, I think you'll have a really good time. Yeah, well, it circles back round to the advice I had at the beginning is try try new things. So I'm looking forward to that. And thank you very much for for coming on and talking about your experiences with climbing, but also talking about Parthian as well. I guess I, I'm going to ask you for a piece of advice in a minute for a guest coming on in the near future. But what's your piece of advice for me as well, going bouldering for the first time or for the first time in a long, long time? What's uh, What should I be doing? What's your advice? Well, the best piece of advice for climbers, if you don't let go, <laughs> you don't have a problem. <laughs> I think just go and enjoy it. And, 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 you know, maybe, like I said, go in and if you like the look of some holes, go and give it a try. 
and just see if you can pull on them and, and um, you know, and just have some fun. And if there's people yeah. listening that feel inspired and want to go and learn out more about Parthian and maybe go and try it out, where can they go? So I think, you know, we'd love everybody to come to our climbing centres, but there may be people on this podcast who are in Bristol, Birmingham, all over the UK. I mean, I would just Google indoor climbing in whatever area you live in, and it will absolutely bring you a, a series of indoor climbing centres with really clear websites where you can go. There's also another one called the, the Association of British Climbing Walls, the ABC, and they've got sort of a map on there. So you know, if you're in Aberdeen, you click on the Aberdeen um, link and it will take you to a climbing wall. So there's sort of no excuse really, Dominic, for finding a climbing <laughs> wall wherever you live. Like you said earlier, there's one there's one in almost every city. So Yeah, and, 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 and they're running really a very similar fashion. You know, they're, they're really welcoming people. They're going to have higher gear. They're going to have lessons. They're going to have tuition direction. So you should be in good hands, you know, wherever you go. Well, the, the website and the photos and the onboarding is all looking fantastic. So I'm, I'm excited to head down there later. The only thing that's left for you is I offered you a piece of advice from Sue at the beginning. Now it's your opportunity to leave a piece of advice for a guest coming onto the podcast in the near future. Yeah, so I, I guess what, what my piece of advice is if you see something you'd like to do or you've got a dream that you want to fulfill, you know, go, and he- go and explore how you might do that. And that might be really easy to, might be difficult, but small steps, you know, go and try bouldering and see where it takes you because you might be surprised. You might be stood on the summit of Everest in two years' time going, this was a great start, look at me now. So, yeah, don't be scared, don't be frightened, go and try it. John, I really appreciate that. I look forward to passing that advice along. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thanks, Donnie. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Outside and Active podcast featuring the incredible climber, John Dunn. What he's done with Parthian climbing is incredible and I was lucky enough to go down and actually visit the centre in Wandsworth which has recently opened and try out climbing which is something I've never really done before so I highly recommend that. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you think you know someone who would enjoy it just as much as you, then please do forward on to them and let's grow this outside and active community. If you're watching on YouTube, then please like and subscribe. And if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or anywhere else where you're listening to any of your podcasts, then please leave a review and again, forward it on so we can keep growing this community and bring on even more incredible guests. We'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast. But for now, I've been Dominic Brown. Enjoy the outdoors. (laughs) 